0: Welcome to the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. This podcast is meant to inspire you to take the next step in your development journey as a faculty member. We're really excited to bring you all sorts of content, from inspiring you to teach or supervise differently, to leading and managing your team, to thinking about new creative ways or humanistic ways to actually do your work, and finally, to up your game in your scholarly practice. Are you excited yet? I certainly am. So sit back, listen, and enjoy this latest episode of the Mac PFD Spark podcast.
1: In this episode, we are exposed to the behind-the-scenes of publishing scientific journal articles. This interview features Dr. Abigail Konopaski, who's an assistant professor at the Uniformed Services University. She discusses the difficult decision-making process to designate authorship within a research team. We hope you enjoy.
0: Hello, everyone. I am here with a guest from the Uniform Services University in the US, because her article caught my eye as being something that probably all scholars need to take into account. But sometimes we, when we're going through our research and we're going through the daily grind of revising, resubmitting, or getting a manuscript polished off, we don't think about this in a mindful way. And so I'm here, and I would love to have her introduce herself. Could, Abby, would you come on board and just say hi to everyone and introduce yourself? And I think you have a disclaimer you have to say as well. Yes,
1: right? thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Abby Konopaski. I'm an assistant professor at the Uniformed Services University in uh, Bethesda, Maryland. And I just have a disclaimer that these are all my opinions, not those of the DOD or USU or uh, uh, the Henry M. Jackson Foundation. But I, um, my training is in educational psychology and in linguistics. And so it's through that that lens, um, both educational psychology, sort of why people think and feel the way that they do, but also with that lens of language, how language helps us understand that, that, that I, I came onto this team that was looking at authorship and authorship practices.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. And so thank you so much for being a uh, part of our podcast. And so I guess maybe it's kind of like, uh, you know, do- dear Dr. Abby. <laughs> And we could be talking a little bit about kind of all the behind the stories, sort of dirt behind some of the science that we do. Right. Because science is messy and it's not sometimes as clear cut as we'd like it to be and objective and clean. You see the polished product, but there's always the drama um, that sometimes comes behind the work that we do. And I think that the words that we use may or may not actually give it justice or may or may not hide some of this stuff um, to junior scholars. And so let's pull back the curtain a little bit and think about those words. So can you tell us about this concept of how it plays into the science that we do and how the communication of what we talk about ends up being manifest in the science that we end up publishing?
1: For sure, yeah. So this paper builds on a body of work that uh, the authors Lauren Maggio and Tony Artino and um, Eric Dreesen and Chris Watling have been working on for a little while, looking at sort of authorship practices. And they've done surveys and um, used other instruments and have found that people indeed are saying they're not always following all of the ICMJE criteria for authorship, right? So one of the big practices, right, is this honorary authorship, somebody that you bring onto the team because, you know, they're a mentor you've had for a while, they're someone you really respect, or they helped you with the data analysis or something like that. But there are a number of these sort of questionable research practices around authorship that this group has looked at.
0: Okay, so I'm going to do the the podcaster thing um, of dialing back a little bit. So ICMJE, I'm just going to define that for our listeners because not everyone's going to know what that is. And so the ICMJ is the International Committee of Medical Journal Editors, and they are a group of all the big medical journal editors, and they have actually had some consensus statements to clarify what the role of authors and contributors are. And so just to kind of highlight what's uh, Abby's talking about is the ICMG recommends that authorship be based on four criteria. So the first one is substantial contributions to the conception or design of the work or acquisition, analysis, or interpretation of the data for the work. So that's criteria one. So you have to have either one of those elements. So that's criteria one. And you also have to help with drafting the work or revising it critically for important intellectual content. And you have to have final approval of the version to be published. And you have to have, be uh, in agreement to be accountable for all the work that's reported in the document and ensuring that questions related to the accuracy and integrity of the work are appropriately investigated and resolved. Right? And so that fourth part is really more of an ethical imperative to stand by your work at the end. Um, obviously, you have to help with drafting or really crafting that manuscript. You have to have some level of approval of the final uh, published document and that you have to actually substantially contribute to the doing of the work, whether it's in the design and conception phase or the acquisition and analysis and interpretation phase. Hopefully both, but that's an either or depending on kind of like your positionality within a group, for instance. So a junior author, like let's say a, a medical student or a pre-medical student or a student that never wants to be a doctor. And so <laughs> anybody in the health professions might actually come and work with you to do you know data acquisition Maybe some some level of analysis, and so they would meet that first criteria. And then you have to involve them in the writing, um, because they have to be able to do all that stuff. They have to have final approval of that final publish, even though they're junior to you. You have to float it to them and say, "Hey, we're going to go to this is your name's on the byline, so you speak now or forever hold your peace, sort of thing." At least, right? And then you need to have agreement that they would stand by and they trust that the analysis is rigorous and real. And so that's kind of the criteria. So I just thought I'd highlight that because you can see how when you're talking about honorary authorship, that these criteria are fairly new and knowledge translation is not something that happens overnight. And so there's been a lot of maybe more insidious ways to define authorship in the past. So with that background knowledge, can you talk to me a little bit more about the drama behind an honorary authorship and why that is a problem?
1: For sure. Yeah. And I think just answering the second question first, I know mean, one of the reasons that's a problem is that people aren't um, getting recognized for work that they're actually doing, right? So we want people to be um, given credit for the, for the work that they're doing and only the work that they're doing. And what's interesting is that this study was of 24 first authors of a recent paper um, that they were first author on. And they were asked about the authorship conversation. Did you have any conversations about authorship as you headed into this paper? And interestingly, so what I think is the most interesting thing is the lack of drama, right? In that for this particular paper that they've been asked about, they all to a T say, no, there was no really, really no conflict. And yet here's where linguistics helps us. There's a lot of implied conflict, right? So there are folks who say, for instance, we collaboratively as a group did this thing together. And then in the next, the next statement will be, but I did all the work, right? So they will be sort of balancing saying like, it's a group effort. It was, it was a, a joint collaborative thing. And yet I just want to make it clear I did all the work. So that hints at this drama that's back there that, but yet folks don't necessarily narrate it explicitly.
0: Yeah. And it's always interesting having been on the other side of that, right? And sometimes it's that the med student actually did all the collection of the data or the graduate student led a certain part of the analysis, but they weren't there at the beginning for the conception and design, right?
1: For sure. And I think there's an issue too, just because, uh, the, what part of the problem with these criteria, the ICMJE criteria, is that they don't account for, so you can give someone an acknowledgement, but an acknowledgement isn't, um, that isn't academic currency, right? That doesn't buy you anything in the academic world the way that an author line does. So I think folks struggle with that. How do I, how do I give this person something for the amazing work they did, even if they don't meet every single criterion of the ICMJE? Right. Um, And, and so a lot of the um, narratives that we analyzed are about that process of negotiation, right? Negotiation, not just with the team, but negotiation with oneself about as the first author about how do I decide who's going to be a part of this, of this line on the paper at the end? And how do I decide how to pull different people in? And yet also thinking about agency, right? This, um, uh, how do i also maintain my own agency as the first author of this paper yeah
0: exactly and i think that um i mean pubmed has something called contributorship and so that's what someone who is not quite an acknowledgement where it's just a thank you but rather it acknowledges that you helped with one part of these but maybe you didn't help with writing the paper and so i think there are in between kind of like statuses that have uh, worked out well for people. Um, I really like what PubMed did with having that contributor status, which is that you have helped with maybe acquiring the data for a multi-center trial, for instance, but you didn't actually help with the drafting of the paper and you didn't really have, happen to have final approval. And no one's gonna be saying, hey, you who gathered a bunch of data at one site is responsible for all the analysis. Cause that's a lot of like, you know burden to place on someone. And so having, you know, like the, you'll see it sometimes on bylines, like, there's a bunch of authors for the so and so collaborators. And so those collaborators are, you know, in that different status category, which is in between, but are still contributors of science. And I think that what we need to do is change our academic currency to say, if you're a contributor to science, this is like how we reward that and good citizenship in these scholarly endeavors would be important as well. And so it's also about our institutions changing our practices around legitimizing these other kinds of work so that we can have um, honest reporting of who's doing what, right?
1: For sure, I, I completely agree. And I like these new things like contributorship that are showing up to give a broader, more realistic range of options for how we say you contributed to this. I think another thing that, and, and what the, I, I think sort of the major finding of the paper for me is that when you think and talk about authorship with your team, um, Think about authorship in a number of different ways, right? Think about distributed authorship, distributed agency. So, what are the what are the individual roles of all these people across the team, and how are you going to distribute not just the work, but the the discussion and the um, the resources, right? But then also, there's collaborative or joint um, agency or authorship. So, what are the activities that you all want that sort of making a careful decision about what what are you what are you going to do? Together, What's your collaborative agency? But then also thinking about, you know, individual, maybe as first author, as last author, some subsection of the author team, like maybe there's some individual agency that's a part of that as well. And so, you know, because we found all three of these types, distributed agency, joint agency, and individual agency across these narratives. And I think just going into the conversation with your authors, knowing that there are these different flavors of agency um, as you head into the authorship discussion can be really helpful.
0: Okay, I'm gonna ask a silly question just because that's my role on this podcast, but what do you mean by agency in this context?
1: For sure, yeah. And so agency is one of my favorite things in the world. And it's like, uh, and so, and I think agency in psychology, has in particularly in western psychology has been thought of for a long time as a very individual thing and as a and as a yes or no i either have agency or power and I, or and control or i don't have agency or power or control but in i think there's other ways to look at it and i see agency as something that is part of a context where you as an individual work together with others, or sometimes um, you may ask others to work on your behalf, sometimes you may um, have access to resources, sometimes you may not. So it's this really emergent developmental thing that happens among people as they work together. So that's the way that I think of agency, and I also think there are different types of agency, right? So there's the agency of doing, which is the most stereotypical, prototypical type of agency, we have, like, I did this, I, but then there's also uh, the agency of saying, right, so to say something is to be agentive, but I think there's also the, the agency of having or being, like, I have access to these participants, I am a full professor, right, so there's, there's a, a lot of different pieces that go into being an agent.
0: That totally makes sense, and so the idea would be, like, it's, it's a little bit of power and and um, action, I guess, kind of a, a concept that's like that. So the idea of who in your group has the ability to speak up or have some level of action or access or or really power in a, in the dynamic.
1: For sure. Yeah. And I think also even looking at folks, um, we're starting to look recently at uh, uh, another group that I'm working with together, looking at agency as resistance, right? So how do you resist power structures? And sometimes agency as resistance looks like not saying anything for a while, right? Being strategic and that can be a form of agency. Um, So, you know, any way that um, humans uh, sort of having intentions, having some kind of autonomy to carry those intentions out and then having some kind of effect on the world. Okay, makes sense.
0: Um, And so fast forward a little bit, you've done a more recent deep dive into some of these things. On the other side of all of that research, what are some things that you'd want every kind of researcher or scholar who's doing scientific work and writing to consider in their authorship activities?
1: For sure, thanks. Like I think um, as you're engaged in authorship, I think the most important thing is to think about process and conversation, right? Actually having these things explicitly be talked about on the table, as opposed to something that just sort of, we kind of assume, well, she'll be the first, because she was the one who did most of the work, and I guess we'll just assume that that person will be the last. And so actually having conversations about this, I think, is the most important thing. Um, But I also think talking about the different resources that each person on the team has and brings talking about the different goals that different people have we had authors who talked about listen i stepped to the side and took second author on this because the first and the last really needed it given where they were in their careers right so those sorts of decisions but really considering all of that explicitly i think is is super important
0: yeah and I joke about it being kind of like the academic prenup, right? As you are coming into a relationship with all your co authors, you should probably be explicit. And in fact, in my research teams, we actually almost have job descriptions, more or less for each of these roles. So that what it is, is that you're highlighting, okay, so if this is the case, then we need to think about First author means this from the get go, so that you know that if you want to be first author, these are the rights and responsibilities that you have, you will be the right to be listed first. But you'll be asked to do this amount of work, the last author, similarly, at least in my lab, we have a similar. A code of conduct for last author being that you are going to be the anchor author, you will support the first author, you will, you know, do the pep talks and all the coaching and be the go to person, you know, second author is usually that person that's, you know, um, that person that's the very helpful person, always Johnny on the spot or Jane on the spot or person on the spot, right, um, to help with different tasks helps with editing really steps up. Um, And then everyone else, you know, depending on how things go, usually there's some negotiation around the third author part, but then everyone else usually just, they just slot themselves in, for instance, right? And so having some terms of reference as to who's accountable for what is really important.
1: For sure. And I think that's especially important when we're thinking about um, diversity and especially when we're thinking about race and racism in medicine and in medical publishing, uh, because there's a there's a sort of um, there's a cultural piece to this, and there's a cultural piece that, um, for instance, I, as a white woman trained in an Ivy League institution, have access to. If things aren't said, I kind of have a sense of what is not said, whereas someone who isn't as um, hasn't spent, doesn't have that kind of cultural capital wouldn't know. And so putting it on the table also means making it um, uh, more equitable by by actually allowing it to be a topic of conversation as opposed to some secret thing that you have to kind of intuit just by being
0: there. Yeah. So I think making those conversations explicit and then for the person, because just like you would with other I think jobs where if you're not stepping up to the job or you're unable to do the job anymore, then to talk to the rest of the team as to do we put the project on hold? Do I step back from being that role, transitioning it to someone else to take your stead? Um, I've definitely done that, like, you know, I've been the PI of a program of research, but at some point in a critical juncture, there was one study where I just didn't have it in me because of how much work I was doing on various other projects to be the last author for one part of that program of research and so i asked one of my colleagues to step up and he did and and that paper is published on a very high impact journal and i'm okay with having stepped back from that role but um it means that you know for purposes of promotion for other things like that like i just knew that i didn't have the time to be able to do it and i wanted to do just justice to the team in the paper and so that's a very different kind of Insight that you have to have as, as that, I think the practitioner of science, right? And so you have to decide how you're going to account for that. Cause other people might take a different stance on the same situation and just say, we're going to put this project on hold then until I can take that. Take that roll back on and space out the projects, right? And so, I think it depends on the team dynamic you have, it depends on the expertise that's required, whether or not you have someone that could sub for you. All of these contextual variants will dictate maybe how you conduct yourself, but I think it's about understanding the ethics of it, it's about understanding, um, really the power dynamics within your team to see is this the way you want to run things or is there a different way you could do it
1: for sure. And I think exactly you, you, you characterize it exactly their contextual variance. And that to my mind is, is also a central finding of this paper is that it really context matters and context being the kind of university you're in, the person you are, the other people on the team, the needs and um, resources you have at, the given, at any given moment, like all of that plays into this process. And so it needs to be, um, be explicitly talked about so that, so that an, an equitable process can ensue.
0: Excellent. All right. Are there any other insights that you think? So we've got the awkward conversation or the academic prenup. We've got the conversation about job descriptions and roles and then also having insight within your team for people to achieve those goals, to have the performance management you need to make sure that everyone's living up to what they need or to give them the compassion and the time to come back at this project when you have the bandwidth. Right. And then I think that, um, uh, like any anything else, because th- this is a really rich conversation.
1: Wonderful. Oh, yeah, no, I would also just say as a linguist um, and as a narrative scholar, like pay attention to the story you're telling in your head about this paper. Um, and if the story, so we had several participants that we, we noted um, basically narrated what we called contested agency. So they would say like that one where you'd say like, oh, it was collaborative, except for I did all the work right? So noticing for yourself, are you, are you creating that sort of contested narrative in your head as you talk about it or as you talk about it to friends? And if that's the case, that's sort of a, um, that's diagnostic that, that there's a problem there and you need to go back to the team and talk to them. Um, so I think also that pay, paying attention to the story in your own head, how you're telling that story and, and, and being a, alert that that could be a, a sign of you know, needing to go back to the drawing board
0: yeah or revising and resubmitting your own authorship order right and so i do think that there's the preliminary negotiation you have at the beginning of a project but there have to be team checkpoints along the way and you have to be willing to revise that and it might be at the point of when you're coming together again to write the paper right because um maybe someone will shine as someone who can really have the bandwidth to carry this paper over the finish line really steps up and maybe you rejig the authorship um in order to reflect that right it could be that someone has uh really stepped up and now they've done all the data collection and analysis and they've just, just done so much again you may need to renegotiate where that person sits within all of this because you didn't know that this was going to be such an involved analysis for instance those are the kind of conversations you need to have and be willing to change that and so knowing that your draft job descriptions, let's say, of first author, second author, last author, right, or as I call it, Batman, Robin, and Alfred of your paper, <laughs> um, like, you know, like, this may be up for negotiation, and that you re- you check in again with the team uh, to say, do we all agree with this? Uh, are there conversations we need to have? And so the idea of that shared mental model within your team is really important. Um, and I love that reminder that you can, again, just like with all human constructs, it's up for us as humans to decide how we're going to do this.
1: For sure, for sure. And and as humans, we understand the world through narrative, I would argue. And so paying attention to your own story uh, is a really great way to get access to like, when it's time to have that uh, additional conversation.
0: And I think that that's where some of this I guess it's almost a Brene Brown like conversation that you're having, right? Like that. What's the story you're telling yourself about this study? What's your role within it? Having everyone tell their story and being a parent helps give that team that shared cognition to say, what is it that we've all done together? Because I think that this is where we get into trouble, right? Is that the junior author who is a postdoc or a, a, a graduate student or a junior um, faculty member who comes in after years have been done on the precursor work, and this is part of a program of research, they're taking a lead on one part, but they didn't understand all the work that has come before the million-dollar grant that got one all the work for all, conceptualizing where this is going to all flow that story hasn't been told to that person. And so when they look at this one project within the sea of all the other projects, they don't really understand all of ca- all of that care and duty that has been done to make sure that, you know, Alfred actually kept the lights on for the Batcave, let's say, right, someone's gotta pay the electrical bill. Um, and And that part doesn't always get told because that's not part of the actual project, but is part of the science and the program of research. And so I think having some authenticity, it also helps build stronger relationships within the team. But I think it also acknowledges how much that, you know, running the lab, creating the the program of research that is, really important labor and work uh, within the scientific team as well so i think all of those things are things that we need to make more explicit because it helps our trainees become better scientists later but if we don't have those conversations with the junior members of our team about all of that work and be explicit and hide it from them then i think that that's where we do a disservice to the science as well
1: for sure and a disservice to those junior members who then don't really understand the ins and outs of what's it what it takes one day to have their own lab.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's where we get into trouble, right, is that sometimes our junior people don't actually get rid into the whole big picture. And that changes the way that we can relate to the science. And then they they don't know how to do that leadership part of the science later on. So. Well, thank you so much for all of your insights, Dr. Konopowski, and I really, really, really appreciate your time here and we'll have to bring you back another time and um, look forward to maybe having you you know do a little bit more work on this with our team Um, but I think that this is definitely really important and essential literature for those of us who are interested in research leadership to flag and so I know those are not words that we sometimes hear together but if you're running a lab you're a research leader right You you might shy away from the word leader, but you are right you're leading a team you're getting stuff done and at the end of the day, that part and skill set is something we often don't think about as a practice in itself but just like leading a clinical team, that's clinical leadership, research leadership, educational leadership, these are all kind of the important parts of any kind of like academic institution in the health sciences so um, thank you so much for shedding some light on this.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation and thank you for the work you're doing, this translational work within this community. Thanks.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to the MAC PFD Spark Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Office for Continuing Professional Development and the Program for Faculty Development at McMaster University's Faculty of Health Sciences. For more information on faculty development, be sure to check out our website at macpfd.ca. That's macpfd.ca. Here you can find other episodes as well as resources for your personal and professional development. A quick shout out to our sound engineer, Ishan Manny of who has been an amazing asset to our team. Another shout out to Scott Holmes, who composed and supplied us with the music you've been listening to. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it and be sure to tune in for our future episodes.